0: Oh, Welcome to another episode of the No Ceilings Podcast. I am Tyler Metcalf, joined, as always, by Tyler Rucker after some uh, pretty serious technical difficulties last night. Uh, Rucker, we're back recording in the morning. How are we feeling today? It For everyone listening,
1: we've missed you. Uh, Metcalf, I've missed you. I feel like you know we're kind of slowing this down. We're trying to do more quality than quantity when the offseason, I feel like. But now we're getting a little itch to get back into it. But for everyone listening the technical difficulties me and metcalf went through last night for this podcast was absolutely hilarious. What well, we did over 50 podcasts this year metcalf without one hiccup and yeah, i feel like it, last night we got a year's worth of technical <laughs> difficulties in like 30 minutes. it was hilarious. we were just like, hey, let's just scrap this and do this in the morning and um we're trying to experiment with some new software for for next season to to get some better content and we got some tricks up our sleeves but We're back, Metcalf. We're we're sticking to it. Everything's figured out. We got a little morning pod. I've had too much coffee. I'm excited to talk hoops with you. How are we doing? How's everything been?
0: I'm good. Much better than last night. The the frustration has subsided. I'm excited to, you know, like you said, we're going to experiment with some things and I'd much rather have it happen now when there isn't something super timely we have to get out uh, (laughs) than if it happened, say, a month and a half ago, you know, right when we're leading up to the draft. So you know we're, we're trying some different things here and there'll be plenty of time to look forward and really dive deep into the 2023 class and we'll we'll get there but one of my favorite things to do when you know looking to improve personally is to look back on past drafts and my past evaluations and just past draft orders and how everything played out because if you can't learn from your mistakes and your hits, then, you know, it's really tough to improve and move forward. We've all had bad hits. So instead of looking forward to 2023 um, for this episode, we're going to go back in time and look at the 2017 draft and break down how those guys were viewed entering the draft, how their careers have kind of developed, what may have gone wrong, and then we'll wrap it all up with um, doing a redraft of the lottery. Um, so just for a refresher, because I'm one of these people, if you throw a Super Bowl number or a draft year at me, I have no idea what you're talking about. You're I, right. It just My brain doesn't work that way. So this was the year where Marco Fultz went first to the 76ers. Lonzo Ball went second to the Lakers. Jason Tatum went third to the Celtics. And then a whole bunch of value was found later in the first round. So Rucker, selfishly, one of the reasons I picked this year was because it was the first year that I really started writing about the draft um I hadn't done a full-on draft guide yet but it was the first time I started putting my stuff out to the public and I had been keeping private rankings and all that kind of stuff to myself it's like I'm going through the process of putting this all together why not sure who cares if people rip it apart if I want to do this it's going to happen regardless so let's do it um so what what is your connection or you know Memories tied with the 2017 draft.
1: Yeah. So for for everyone listening, you know, me and Metcalf have been kind of experimenting or, you know, throwing some some brainstorm sessions about what we wanted to do in the offseason. And um we we talked about kind of doing a past like looking back at draft history. And Metcalf made a great rule. He was like, We can't talk the last three years. And I was like, beautiful, let's go back, let's really get in the depths. We want to talk about all of the draft classes, even being the legendary, you know, 96, 84 ones. We want to, we want to have some fun this off season, but I didn't know this going into this podcast that that was your first draft cycle writing about it. Cause ironically enough, that was my first. So this is, this is going to be amazing Metcalf. I'm excited to do this. But, um, and when I say that, you know, I'd been evaluating scouting, but I eventually got right. to a point where I was like, I want to write, I want to blog about it. So, this was the first class I started really doing, you know, film breakdowns and written work on these prospects. But it's, it's really fun to go down memory lane and kind of look back and see your evaluations of some of these players. There's a lot of talent all over the place that, you know, I'm sure when we do the redraft at the end, we'll have a much different order than what happened on draft day. But it's, uh, it's going to be fascinating to talk this through with you to kind of see where your head was at. Look at some of these prospects, because I do think there is, you know, some fans. I'm not like saying anything bad about basketball fans. I'm just saying like some fans don't realize what how good some of these guys were in college. Yeah. And just the fact that their game didn't really translate fully to their full potential at the NBA level doesn't mean that they didn't showcase it in college. And some of these guys were absolute monsters um, heading into the draft.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's the perfect spot to lead into the guy who ended up being the first overall pick in marco Fultz, and <laughs> you know obviously when we look back on it today, that's obviously the wrong pick, but you know hindsight is twenty twenty, and you know it it only does so much, but in the moment, Fultz was widely regarded as the guy as the number one um, option. It wasn't as firm a consensus as a lot of or at least these last couple of years. But Fultz was widely viewed as the number one option because of his size, his physicality, his versatile scoring, um, and just his overall athleticism. He was, he was a guy who was a legit three-level scorer who could finish through contact at the rim, over guys, uh, stop on a dime and pull up in the mid range. And then his outside shot looked really good until, you know, he got the shoulder injury or the change of mechanics Caused a shoulder injury it's a little chicken versus the egg type of conversation but the thing with falso is so fascinating was obviously the celtics traded back from one to three which never happens and when that happened um i believe the trade was announced the day after or a few days after he was just pictured working out in the celtics facility wearing celtics gear practicing with celtics guys i was like oh okay it's a lock write it in Celtics are taking faults, here we go. And all of a sudden the trade and it's like, oh shit, like what no one ever trades back from one. And right. it kind of felt like a a fleecing in a sense. Um, the Celtics did end up getting a future first rounder that turned into Romeo Langford, so Nothing really, but they did end up just trading back a couple spots to still get their guy. So, when you think back on Fultz, where were you at with him in terms of evaluation, and what did you, what were your expectations of him coming out of college?
1: Yeah, so that's, it's, I was almost the most excited. Like you said before, whenever someone tells me a draft class year, I'm kind of like, okay, I have to Google it. I have no idea what you're talking about off the top of my head, unless you're talking about like '96, '84, '2003. And then when you said this one, I I looked it up and I was like, Oh, the Fultz draft. I was like, perfect, good one. Like good to start off, Metcalf. Thank you. So, um, as most of you know, like I I grew up, I was a diehard Boston Celtics fan. Since you know, I've gotten serious with my basketball career and and evaluating and no ceilings, I've kind of tried to be less biased until you get to the playoffs and all bets are off. But the Celts had the number one pick that year. And I was in a position where I was like, it's going to be Fultz. Because it was, you watched, and this is what I'm getting at what I said earlier. A lot of fans didn't watch Fultz in college. That's okay. But you you you're going off of what you've seen in the pros, which he almost had the shanks with that shoulder injury. It was just a freak of nature incident. But if you went back and evaluated him at Washington, he was an absolute freak of nature like he was a monster and he had great size for everyone watching um on youtube and, and you know spotify We've, we're gonna start doing more clips and we have breakdowns going of of faults in the background right now but you you can see just how athletic how freakish he was and he had good size he had the ability to legitly score at three levels and you see the shot right there i mean the shot was pretty and call it like it was smooth And it's 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 so wild to go back and look at Fultz in college with where the shot is now, because, you know, in college they were comparing him to James Harden. And I get annoyed every year when it's like, okay, Harden, Durant, you know, those are the comparisons now we just hammer home every year. But Fultz looked like a guy that was going to be a potential just multi all star. Like he looked like the franchise building block you wanted for your team. So, um, you know, he averaged 23.2 points per game, 5.7 rebounds, 5.9 assists, 1.6 steals, 1.2 blocks, shot 47.6% from the field and 41.3% from three on five attempts. So he was putting up unbelievable numbers. And and, um, just to finish off your point from earlier, like as a Celtics fan, like I was convinced it was happening. Like, like you said, there was pictures of him working out with Celtics. There was a big piece of him talking about like visiting the TD garden. And he was like, I can't wait to play here. You know, I think he was even talking about like the numbers and rafters, how creepy he was. And then all of a sudden they traded back. And I was like, okay, Danny Ainge, I, you got the, you got the balls to trade back from number one with a potential franchise point guard. So it was just, it, it was always fascinating to look back and, um, if you haven't ever watched him, go back and look at Polts in college. I mean, him at UW was just so much fun to watch.
0: Yeah, and to just kind of further expand on how impressive his statistical profile is, obviously there's some, you know, stat manipulation here going on. But when I ran a qu- query on Bartorovic, whose database goes back to 2008, um, and used the filters of a usage rate of at least 30, assist rate of at least 30, um at least 10 dunks and shot at least 41% from 3 he was the only player to do that and i use those numbers to highlight just the overall offensive versatility he wasn't just a guy who got to the rim he wasn't just a guy who shot threes he wasn't just a scorer he was the kind of alpha and omega for that washington team that was really bad he got to the rim he finished above the rim he shot from outside he had 126 attempts he shot 41.3 percent on 126 attempts from three um and he had an assist rate of 35.5 so it was this all-around offensive game that was like oh okay this is the kind of powerful athletic guard that the nba is trending towards he's just kind of the next step in that evolution and like this is a guy who can do literally everything on the offensive end of the floor and it kind of felt like you know, obviously no one's ever a sure thing, but coming out is like, okay, this is kind of the next step in that direction of where offenses are headed. You know, we didn't,
1: we didn't say this in our, um, our run of just complete technical disasters. And I just thought of this while you were talking about it, you know, it, it was, it, it felt like the new transformation of the modern point guard. It almost felt like what we were like, what Cade is, has become Cade Cunningham And I think Fultz was supposed to be that first early wave of that. And more athletic. Yeah, and more athletic. Fultz was explosive. Yes, yes, yes. Fultz was, and for everyone watching the clips, like Fultz was so damn shifty. It was unbelievable to watch him drive through traffic. It was like, it was like pick your poison defending him because he could just weave through left and right. He was so laterally quick. And then you would contain him and all of a sudden he had the ability to shoot from outside. Like he had a smooth shot that, you know, like we said, 41% on five attempts a game, like he was just special and it looked like it was going to be this potential new wave of superstar point guards. And, you know, Boston was in a position with their, their roster that they had a, a lot of positions filled and then they had a lot of wings and it was kind of like, okay, what, where do they go? Are you just taking the, the franchise potential number one pick just because you're like, Hey, this is adding more to the riches. And, and it felt like that, but then, you know, as history played, he ends up going to Philly. We'll talk about all that later, but, um, what Metcalf, were you in the point evaluating where you were just like it's faults for me, or did you think there was a little bit more
0: debate than some others might have said? Um, so I, I, I understood people who didn't have Fultz at number one, Um, you know, I I got those arguments. I always understand when people disagree with me as, you know, who the number one prospect is. I think it's important to kind of be able to see the other side and play devil's advocate and whatnot. Um, But yeah, I I was locked in it with Fultz at one. I thought I was like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Look at the dominant offensive powers that we're seeing in the NBA right now. And the way that, offense is trending and okay he's the next step this makes a lot of sense it's kind of a no-brainer and you know thinking about who he was in college and then pairing that with Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid it's like oh god that's perfect that is exactly what you want obviously now looking back it's like god imagine if we if they actually took Tatum and he had that same development and you put him with those two it's like oh my god you know we're probably talking about titles but the The injury it's just injuries suck, and it just completely derailed him because it sapped all confidence from him, it completely destroyed his shooting mechanics um and it was just this weird thing that we hadn't really seen before or at least in a long time where an injury completely saps a player of you know all of their physical and mental gifts, yeah, I mean
1: what's the the biggest one is greg oden like the most recent since then
0: yeah yeah probably but i that that one was even at least more well reported that his legs were two different sizes and it's like oh that's not good for well anyone let alone a seven footer so like even that one felt a little more like god this sucks that, that happened but it wasn't like a complete blindside yeah
1: i feel like with with oden it was like you almost knew there was a little bit of risk. Like yeah. people don't realize like Embiid was incredibly risky. Yeah. Like coming in as a prospect, like people were horrified before the draft of like, are we going to draft this guy and he can't play for the first couple of years? Like it, it was like a serious concern. A lot of teams were worried about trying to draft him. But then I think Philly just got to the point where like, this dude has the potential to be a franchise altering piece. And they said, we don't care. We're in a position we're going to wait as long, but you know, Fultz, it just, it just shocked the crap out of everyone. Because when I remember when Philly traded to go up and get him, I was like, dang, like Embiid and Simmons. And now you get Fultz. Like I was, if you get the, you dub Fultz, my goodness, that is a heck of a piece now, like those three together. And it it really does suck. And and I'm not trying to like make it sound like Fultz is just not a good basketball player. I still think highly of him. I still think he's going to have a, another strong year I jokingly still think like he's gonna eventually get to his next team if he ever gets past or gets away from the magic and I'm not saying that in a bad way magic fans I'm just saying like he could be a guy that just all of a sudden it's like man Fultz ended up playing 14 years in the league like and but it's just the different type of player like now he's having to reinvent himself because before it was just he looked like he was going to be an absolute animal at the next level and um I still till this day will watch him at UW and be like he was the number one pick. Like yeah. I know how good Tatum is. Trust me, I I know. And um I've been Tatum's biggest critic also, but watching and evaluating Fultz as a prospect, there was no question. So I was like, that's the guy. That is the guy in this draft.
0: Yeah, and obviously the Celtics felt that Tatum was their guy, and they felt comfortable trading back to three because Lonzo Ball, who went number two to the Lakers, had been linked with the Lakers basically the entire season. He was, you know, the local kid who went to high school in LA. He stayed and played at UCLA, and he was one of the most fun college basketball players in the country that season. So looking back on Lonzo Ball, um, he's had a really fascinating career. Um, similar to Fultz, I think it's been underwhelming given what his potential was coming out of college. And that's not, that's not to say that Lonzo's is a bad player by any means. He's an awesome player. I love how he kind of has transformed his game from this offensive dynamo to this really physical one-on-one perimeter defender. And he was really good in new Orleans, really good in Chicago. Hopefully he can stay healthy so he can continue to see that. But coming out of UCLA, he was this sharpshooter, this incredible playmaker, this offensive force where you did you have him locked in at number two for you or was he kind of just hovering around in that top three to five range? Where, where were you at with Lonzo coming out? I
1: was, uh, he was getting so much damn hype coming into the draft that I, w- I'm always one of those, like, I don't care if everyone loves a guy, like I'm going to make my own opinions about him. And, um, you know, for everyone watching on YouTube, we, we were, were playing clips right now of UCLA against Arizona at UCLA, which was the one game that, I watched just completely and it was like my first game of watching Lonzo and I was like I'm let's see what this kid has like let's let's see what he's got and watching that game I was just kind of like oh my gosh like this guy is completely taking over Um the shot was so weird like it, yeah. it really was weird because if for everyone that doesn't remember it was like he almost had like a three-step process where it was like I have to start
0: to the left to bring it to the right to go up, and um, the point was a Blake Wesley-esque or I guess Blake yes. Wesley's jumper was where they are he's coming from like the left side of his face and it's yeah just so yeah weird. as a it,
1: what it's it's he's become fascinating because I wasn't buying into the hype. I watched that game and I was like, okay, th- that's the guy that has it. Like that was the one where you're like, nope, he's up there. I I believe in it. Um, I t- could see now with like redrafts people probably taking him lower but I think also it's important and I'm excited to talk to you about this Metcalf like I I he went into some pretty big expectations you know that was Magic Johnson taking over the Lakers he was hyping him up like okay showtime is back we got a point guard you know the the Southern California kid that goes to UCLA that stays in LA I don't know if if like that the problem is is there's two sides of the fence with this He goes there, I think maybe you could argue that he was disappointing, whatever you want to say, but then Mm -hmm. goes to New Orleans, kind of reinvents himself, becomes this just versatile defensive weapon at a really high level. Now ends up with the Bulls. Hopefully he's gonna be healthy this year because when he was playing last year with the Bulls, they were so much fun. Yeah. And so it's like if he doesn't go to the Lakers, do you think maybe his career looks completely different? Or is someone more patient with him with the shot kind of developing early on? Because, you know, Metcalf in college, he was 14.6.6 rebounds, 7.6 assists, 1.8 steals, shooting splits of 55.1 and 41.2 on 5.4 as attempts from three. Like, we could talk about how bad the shot looked he still was 50 40 with shooting splits right 55 41 i mean he was so much damn fun in college like that's another guy we talked about fultz being a monster ball was a demon at ucla like he was so much fun with the playmaking the shooting
0: just completely looked like a guy that was like okay he has it yeah and like just um using those same thresholds that i talked about with fultz earlier on that query um if you just lower the usage rate to 20 among players at high major conferences it's just Fultz and ball who meet those so i'm he had a 20.1 usage rate a 31.4 assist rate 37 dunks and 41.2 percent from three on 194 attempts he was a flamethrower and even the the mechanics is like oh god those are gross but it worked and it wasn't like he shot forty five percent on forty attempts. If it was like that, it's like mm, this is fluky. But it was pull ups, was step backs, was movement threes. It's like holy shit! Like what is this? Like this doesn't make sense given what the mechanics were. Um, obviously, the outside shooting hasn't quite lived up to what it was as a freshman, but it's still been fine. Um, but when we talk about landing spot and you know career outcomes, this kind of feels like a middle of the road outcome for him right. and. Um, I hope that doesn't sound like I'm trying to dog him because that I think that's more so just praising how much potential he had coming out of college and how dynamic of a player he was. Um, I think the offense is kind of leveled out a little quicker, or a little sooner than I thought it would. But the defense has easily exceeded any expectations I had for him. And that's been the really impressive spot for or development in his career for me at least. I, I always liked how he displayed his defensive IQ with jumping passing lanes and you know making those rotations, kind of similar stuff that we saw his brother do, um, but just at a smaller size. But now you know, once he got to the NBA, he really started bulking up and playing with way more physicality than he ever showed in college so that that was a really fascinating development for him so i i don't think that he's necessarily hit his high-end outcome but it certainly hasn't been a disappointment because he's a really damn good player and if he would have gone to maybe a more stable situation because that lakers franchise was not stable at the time and you know lakers fans may say the same thing about it now um I, I think that he there would have been a little less attention paid to him um a little less you know oh my god this is the second coming this is our savior type thing cuz in his I I believe is in his summer league debut Lakers fans took over Vegas and like they were setting attendance for, like record numbers and ESPN was like whoa this is new this is different
1: That's a great point because um you know, we were in Las Vegas for summer league with the no ceilings crew this year. And now I was talking about just kind of like how the first, the first night is always, usually it's like the NBA schedules, either like one, the first pick versus the third pick, or it's like the big marquee, you know, Lakers Celtics or it'll be Celtics Sixers. And I, I might be wrong or a year off on this. I think it was the first year ever summer league sold out. And it was Lonzo's yeah. debut and maybe I'm wrong. And maybe it was the second year. I don't know, but I'm saying like Lonzo, that's how hyped and Laker fans always travel. Well, we know that, but like, and Vegas is not a very long drive, so I'm not going to give you guys that much credit, but <laughs> like, it, it, that's how much hype he had coming in. Everyone yeah. was like, this is the savior of the franchise. This is the point guard we've been looking for. And you know, he, he's, I've written a piece at no ceilings, plug. Number one, there you go. Um, And I talked about how, like, point guards take time to find their groove, to to hit that stretch. A lot of really good point guards, if you go back and look, like, we're talking Hall of Famers like Steve Nash, Gary Payton, guys like that. Like, they struggled their rookie year. They they put up some numbers you'd be absolutely shocked. Like, even John Stockton, I think, is on that list. And Lonzo still put up 10, 6.9, 7.2 assists, 1.7 steals in his rookie year. But yeah. his shooting splits were 36-30 and an eye-opening 45 from the line. So I think that's where it was like he still put up really good numbers, but it was like, okay, that needs to come to another level if you're going to be able to stick. Um, And last year with the Bulls, I know he only played 35 games, but 13 points a game, 5.4 rebounds, 5.1 assists, 1.8 steals, shooting splits of 42 Where are we at? 42. Sorry, it's morning, folks. 42.3 from the field, 42.3 from three, and 75% from the free throw line. But you can also, what you pointed out earlier, Metcalf, that was so important, was like he had to kind of fine-tune his shot. I think everyone was expecting that, even as a prospect. And during that process, he became this, one of the more unique point guard defensive assets in the entire league and that's also talks about prospects like these guys aren't finished products you know like I I still think Lonzo's got probably another level to find we just need him to stay healthy and I think Chicago's got a chance to have a really really good year they were fun to watch when they were all healthy so um yeah it's just fascinating because I think a lot of people look back and be like oh two was too rich but it's like Lonzo was deserving of it. It wasn't just the hype storm that came into the draft. He was deserving of it. If you watched his film at UCLA.
0: Yeah. And so obviously Jason Tatum went number three to the Celtics and he's been the big gold star standard elite talent to come out of this draft. But, um, But going into the draft, he wasn't a sure thing. Um, I was a fan of his three-level scoring, uh, but I was a little hesitant on what else he kind of did on offense. Um, Obviously, we saw the passing take a big leap this season, and especially in the the playoffs. But a lot of people questioned his kind of defensive and scoring versatility. That obviously hasn't aged super well. Um, But just a little more fun with numbers, uh, another query, uh, just to kind of get a a feel of – you know, where he compared to people or prospects of, you know, similar type. And I think that really shows how the NBA was kind of starting to pivot um, during this time where teams really valued these really long, versatile forward slash wings. So players with a usage rate of at least 25, defensive rebounding rate of at least 19, block and steal or block rate of at least three, steal rate of at least two, three-point percentage, at least 34, uh, close twos at least 60, far twos at least 35% from true high conferences. He's one of 10 players. Keegan Murray, Bonzi Colson, Diedrich Lawson, Jared Sullinger, Jabari Parker, Bobby Portis, Damian James, Jason Tatum, Jabari Smith, Travion Williams. When you add in an assist rate of at least 10, that list falls to Keegan Murray, Colson, Lawson Tatum Jabari Smith and Trevion Williams those are really good college players and a lot yeah. of them are going on to have really good you know pro careers so why wasn't Tatum widely viewed as the number one prospect or at least number two
1: I you know it was fascinating Like we talked about earlier, that's kind of the first year I was like blogging about it and stuff. And and I'd just been so obsessed watching Fultz. I was just like drooling over that. And uh, I think Ryan Rosillo has always, you know, kind of been one of those people who like says like he thought Tatum deserved to be in the number one. And I was like, man, I I wish I had the balls at that time to put that on the Internet. But, you know, now now I do. Now I'm getting I'm getting warmed up. I'm getting a little bit more confident in my evaluation skills. Um, Internet's a scary place, guys. So the funny thing was I started watching Tatum for the first time and I was like, holy shit. I was just like, what, what's, why is this guy not getting more talk? Like what's, what's going on? Cause people forget it was Fultz, Lonzo were getting just all the buzz. Cause everyone was like, what's the better point guard? Who would you rather have? Then Josh Jackson was a very hot name going into the, the 2017 draft um, you had guys like De'Aaron Fox, you had, um, Jonathan Isaac, like there was some versatility and, and and pieces that were getting a lot of attention. And I was like, why is Tatum not getting more attention? This dude has crazy skills. And I watched his game and I was so impressed with his poise, his transition ability, his just patience. And, you know, people are gonna roll their eyes when I say this, but he reminded me of Paul Pierce with his footwork in like the mid-range, where it was just kind of like he wasn't gonna be always faster or quicker than you, but he could dissect you with his feet, his spin dribbles. Like he could get where he wanted to because he's six eight with the ability to score from multiple levels, and he was tough. And I was like, man, this kid has some serious tools. And the NBA's always love the wings, and, and that's the thing. It's like if you didn't want a point guard the wing they're always going to be drooling over wings. I mean, what, what about you Metcalf? Were you, were you a fan of Tatum going in? Were you a little cooler? Where were you at?
0: I I was a little cooler and by cooler, I mean, I think I had him like four, maybe five. Um, but I was, I wasn't sure if he was going to be Paul George or Rudy Gay. Um, just it seemed i I was a little concerned with the defense which Mm -hmm. obviously hasn't aged great um he's turned into a hell of a defender and you know i think that's that's something i've kind of picked up on is these this last decade guys haven't really gotten that much better at defense at duke um it'll be interesting to see how that changes or evolves uh under shire but the top Duke prospects, it's always been the offense that's made them top picks. You know, so I, I was a little hesitant on how much effort, what, what versatility, the physicality that he showed on defense. Um I understood the concerns is, oh, is this guy just a tough mid-range shot maker? And can he do much else? I was a little higher on that than others, but it, it was mainly the – um the, the defensive questions I had with him, and then it was, what else can he do on offense? If he's just this kind of back-to-the-basket, tough mid-range shot maker, the spot-up shooter, um, does he have more on-ball creation that's not, you know, one, two, three dribble pull-ups? Um, can he create for others? That's kind of where my questions came in.
1: Yeah, you know, Tatum was interesting in college i even feel like there was a a story recently where like tatum was talking i think it was with jj reddick on the old man in the three podcast but he was talking about or it might have been with draymond green sorry um whatever you guys understand what i'm talking about but it was him talking about like coach k kind of ripping him when he was uh at duke of being like you got to be aggressive and it's funny when you go back and look at his box scores or his game logs you can see some games where he finished with eight points he'd finished with nine points and yeah you'd have a string of, you know, 20 point games and all of a sudden kind of just disappear, come down, you know, 11, eight. And that opens some eyes. I know we always talk about like Duke prospects can get a little annoying to evaluate with their offense and stuff, but that opened some eyes when you're trying to draft the guy top three that you're like, is this going to be a franchise piece, like offensive weapon? But then he finishes the year, his last six games at Duke, he was averaging 20 a game on from the field, but still 27% from three. So I was like you, I I was like, there's some, there's some really fun tools there. There's some special stuff. Are what level are we at? Am am I seeing the superstar or am I seeing like a Rudy Gay? And I love Rudy Gay. Rudy Gay, just to be clear, he had,
0: he had a very Good
1: career, and, yes, and, compared, compared to your then, average NBA player. Very, very, very good career. Anytime you dra- you're drafted early, and you end up playing more than ten years. I think you had a good career. So, yeah. Um, but Tatum was just fascinating because it was the Fultz mania, and then I was, son and I was like, this guy deserves to be in that conversation. And that's the beauty of the draft. All it takes is a workout where you kick ass, and the front office looks around and was like wait, we might have a discussion that's a little bit more serious than we thought. And Boston might have gone into that draft being like, okay, Fultz is going to be the guy. And then they saw Tatum come in and, and you know, spent time with him, watched him work out and been, oh my gosh, like, okay, let's, let's go to work. Let's see what we can do. And that's also what good GMs do. And, and I think taking Fultz would have been a very like understandable process, but I think yeah. good GMs also look and be like, we have this guy 1A, 1B. It's a lot closer than that. And we really, really are intrigued with this guy. Like maybe they were loving Tatum. They loved everything they heard. And they said, we can get a future first and to move back two spots and still get a guy we love. And that's what they did. And you know, Tatum, I think we're always going to look back at this draft and almost be like, it's the Tatum draft because he went third. And that's just how it happens. But I still, to this day, think Fultz, Ball, I understand why they went
0: 1-2. Absolutely. And two other guys who are in a lot of people's top three or at least top five were Josh Jackson and De'Aaron mm-hmm. Fox. Um, I, I, I'll let you pick. Wh- which one of those do you want to go with? Let's talk about
1: Josh Jackson. I We yeah. didn't get to talk about him on the... Uh what are we calling it? The <laughs> the secret files, the podcast that will never be released. Um, we didn't get to the Josh Jackson part yet. So this is all going to be new, fresh content. But what were your thoughts, Metcalf? I was, I'm going to be honest, I was skeptical. It was one of those guys that the more, the more he kept buzzing, I was like, what am I missing? And th- this is also the first year I'm blogging. You got to remember. So I'm like, all right, I'm trying to do this as like a, a side hobby. And I was like, am I the crazy one? Am I all of a sudden going to realize, like, I don't know what I'm talking about. And I felt good because I was just watching. I was like, I get the upside. I get what everyone's falling in love with. But we talk about this, I, this theory of like people falling in love with the idea of what a player could become. And I feel like Josh Jackson fell into that category a lot. And there's always some stuff with prospects that's off the court and, you know, background stuff that a lot of people don't realize, but What did you think of Josh Jackson as kind of a prospect coming out of Kansas? Yeah. So
0: I, and he was in my top five. I think he was probably five for me. Um, What I loved about him was the athleticism and the defense. And I thought that was going to, you know, be elite. Um, It didn't pan out that way, obviously. Um, But I, I, I was, I was with the people who were questioning his offense because I thought those, the shot and the kind of offensive creation had a lot farther to go than a lot of people wanted to kind of admit at that time. And it it really felt like, like you said, Oh, what could he be? And obviously a lot of the draft is projecting like that. But when we talk about the likelihood of guys developing into, you know, that, that perfect scenario, his felt a lot less likely than some of these other guys. So I, I was really buying into the defense. That's why I still had him that high. um but I thought, okay, if he can just develop a spot up three consistently and then pair that with this elite defense, he's a guy who could easily be you know a third starter on a playoff contender.
1: yeah, so the fascinating thing about Josh Jackson was I'm not trying to rip any organization apart here, but the moment he went to the Suns at that point, I was like, uh oh. Yeah. I was just like, not great. Um, and for everyone that's gonna try to dig me, I've I've done homework, I've talked to people behind the scenes. So I feel pretty good about my um education about that whole experience. So it's just tough because the suns were a little bit of a dumpster fire. Um, you're putting a, a young kid that needed to have kind of like a guidance and I don't really think the Suns were in that position to. yeah you want to surround them with the right pieces like that's why it's it's so important we talk about fit all the time Josh Jackson goes to a different team might be a completely different story people also got to realize like this was going into this draft like the Celtics were rumored to be trying to get him in to work him out and he kept saying no because um that was the Celtics the next year had just a disposal of wings. So people were trying not to Yeah, agents were trying to steer them away. They had Jalen. They had, they uh, just, I think just signed Gordon Hayward. They had like Marcus Morris on the roster still. They, uh, and then they ended up drafting Tatum. So agents were trying to get away from that because they were like, my guy might not play as a rookie. And if Hayward doesn't get injured, Tatum might not even play his rookie year that as much as he did. But you know, it's just he—he he was really special watching him as a prospect because of the athleticism and the tools you're talking about, Metcalf. Like where you—you you drooled of the idea of him being like, oh man, it's this dude just buys in defensively to just be like a defensive stopper at the next level, while the rest of the offense comes around because he showed plenty of flashes and um, he had some moments in, in Phoenix where I felt like he was starting to come along, and then it just kind of derailed and. um it sucks, but it, this is why we always talk about fit and, and it's the most important part of the draft. It's, yep. it's everything because it could completely shift the career for someone. And, um, you know, unfortunately it didn't work out there, but it's just crazy to always look back because he was a guy that everyone was like, wait, could he go third to Boston? And what if he goes to Boston, works out and lights the gym on fire? And they're like, oh,
0: we that's the big what if you never know. Yeah and you know you you mentioned that like he he did show a lot of signs of that 3 and D versatility that we always crave from you know these prospects and obviously the athleticism is what it is and it was outstanding at the time um but I mean he was one of 13 players to have an effective field goal percentage of at least 55 a block and steal rate of at least 3 and a 3 point percentage of at least 35 and some of those other players are Tari Eason, sophomore, Mikhail Bridges, Chumo, Kiki, Danny Green, Torian Prince. Those are good NBA players. And those are kind of you know the the type of role that we hoped that Josh Jackson could grow into, where he's reliable off the catch, he's efficient with the shots that he that he does take, and then he's making plays and making a huge impact defensively. So, you know, it I I think it's a really good case study in how landing spots and a prospect's personality when they don't mesh at all and there's no guidance there how much of a left turn it can take yeah i mean you go back and look at his college stats and i usually hate
1: evaluating guys at kansas just because i feel like it's a nightmare for offensive production um except for if your name's ochai we love you. Um but at Kansas he averages 16.3 points, 7.4 rebounds, 3.0 assists, 1.7 steals, 51% from the field and 37% from 3, which I would shocked to see 37%, but um it 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 really just is fascinating about how quickly it could just completely turn because he really did show some 3 and D upside with the potential to be something really special at the next level, but you know, not every draft pick in the lottery is going to hit and you, you would be fooling yourself if you go back and look and be like every single one turned out to be great. Like it just, there's misses.
0: Yeah. And another freak athlete from that class, who's been able to kind of harness his athleticism and, you know, we've really seen his game take that step and mature once he learned how to slow down and, you know, not just play at a hundred percent is De'Aaron Fox. Where, where were you at with Fox coming in? I mean, I'm a sucker for speed, you know, Top
1: Gun. I, I feel the need for speed. But it was fascinating evaluating him in college at Kentucky because he was just so damn fast. Yeah. And I was like, gosh, if this dude just learns to play with some some change of gears. And he was shifty. He was explosive. I mean, we're we're showing the tape right now. Like, he had that wiggle. It was just one of those, like, when you – we talked about this this year with a lot of prospects. You know, J.D. Davison was one off the top of my head that I was like, he's got to learn to play with a change of gears. You can't just be going in sixth gear the whole time. You've got to be able to set up defenders. You've got to be able to use it in the pick and rolls. You've got to be able to create your windows. And then Davison goes to the summer league and just looks completely unreal. And I was like, okay, I guess I'm going mental. But Fox was really intriguing to me because – Everyone was falling in love with Lonzo and I was like, man, I kind of like this De'Aaron Fox. Like, and I usually yeah. can't stand Kentucky point guards <laughs> because they give me nightmares. Um, if you know, you know, but I loved Fox's swagger. He played the game with some explosiveness. He looked like a guy that if the shot came around, which is my least favorite thing to say ever, like if the shot came around consistently from outside, it was like, okay, he's got all the tools. Yeah. Um, Kentucky numbers. He averaged 16.7 points, four rebounds, 4.6 assists, 1.5 steals, 47 um, 47%, 47.9% from the field, and 24.6% from three. Not great, Bob. 73.6% <laughs> from the line. But I really liked Fox. It was one of those guys that early on I just kept watching. The more I watched, I was like, all right, yeah, I buy in. And I was also screaming at that point, like Phoenix, take him. This is you need. To, I feel like Phoenix was looking for a point guard for like two decades. And I was like, De'Aaron Fox would be great, but then they took Josh Jackson and the rest is history. But uh,
0: what about you, Metcalf? What did you think about Fox? He was just fun. And the the athleticism was absurd. You know, when those clips that we were showing that that open court burst is Jaden Ivey esque where it's okay. I'm going to get the ball. I'm going to, immediately analyze what the transition defense looks like. And now I'm going a thousand miles an hour and you cannot stop me. Um, I I thought his, you know, side to side stuff was really good. Some of his patience with creating floaters and layups in the lane, I thought was really impressive. Um, It's like you said, it's my least favorite cliche in the draft, but it's, oh, well, if the shot comes around and it just hasn't. Um, You know, it's obviously gotten a little better, but it hasn't improved to the levels that it needs to be for him to fully leverage those athletic gifts. Um, And then, you know, I I don't think his playmaking necessarily evolved to an elite point. I think he's a good point guard, um, but I think he's more of a scoring guard. So he's had a really nice career. He's a really good player. Um, When we talk about percentile outcomes, I honestly think this is maybe like the 85th percentile for him and for him to jump into that ninety, you know, to a hundred, it's the shot, and that sucks. But it's he's just one of those players where it really feels like the big swing skill for him.
1: Can I ask you a off-topic question? It, no, it's 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 related. <laughs> but um, I love Kings fans, and now I, I I absolutely love them because you know they got the Prodigal Son, Summer League MVP Keegan, Keegan Murray. In case you haven't heard. And this is not an insult to Kings fans. So, for all the Kings fans listening, I love you. But I'm just trying to ask this question. De'Aaron Fox just averaged 23.2, 3.9, 5.6, and 1.2. Is it because he's on the Kings? Yeah. In the Kings market that we're not talking about him as like, this is one of the best underrated point guards in the league. And that's not an insult to the Kings fans. I'm just saying this is what I get annoyed about with the teams that don't get the attention that they deserve. And I know the Kings have been struggling. They haven't made the playoffs, but it's still like, come on. We, we need to cover every team in the league. That's what we're trying to do at No Ceilings. We're trying to cover every single possible thing we can. And it's like, just because a team struggles doesn't mean we shouldn't shine the spotlight on some of their young talent. And I've, Fox has had three straight years of over 20 a game. I know they've struggled, but still 20 is 20. And he's almost been at 48% from the field every year. He's averaged almost north of six assists every year. I, I don't know. Last year, he averaged 25 or two years ago, he averaged 25, three and seven. I don't know, Metcalf. I just, he's always been a puzzling one for me. Cause I'm like, if it's De'Aaron Fox is with the Knicks, is he the getting the Talk of like, oh my gosh, he's one of the best point guards
0: in the league for a rising star.
1: Now I'm, I'm yeah. not
0: right so no, no sorry, I, I definitely think market has something to, or you know, plays a factor in this. And if you just swap the draft spots of if you put him with the Lakers and Lonzo ball with the Kings, Ooh. I think both those guys are talked about really differently. Um, oh, Matt We're getting spicy. Now off
1: in it, Full effect.
0: <laughs> I know it, it is what it is, but I, I think the other big determining factor in that is that Fox hasn't taken them to the playoffs. Whereas, you know, his peers from this class, um, you know, Lonzo ball has had, has been in the playoffs. Jason Tatum just was just in the finals. um, you know, Donovan Mitchell has been a superstar in Utah. Bam Adebayo has been in the finals. So, you know, these guys have made have been huge factors in why their teams have not only made the playoffs, but made deep runs in the playoffs. And obviously it's not all Fox's fault because it's a team game that, you know, LeBron James is the only guy in the past 20 years who can single-handedly take a team to the finals. And Darren Fox just isn't that type of player, but that shouldn't also be an indictment on who he is as a player, because as you just ran through, he's incredibly productive. He's really talented. He's really versatile. He's a really good player. He's just not a franchise cornerstone, and that's fine.
1: Yeah, I mean, what I loved about Fox was he averaged 11, 2.8, and 4.4 as a rookie second year jumps to 17.3 3.8 and 7.3 like that is exactly what you want to see from a young guard and um he's just always been a fascinating one to me like when they paid him I was like I understand it I understand why you got to do it and I had been told like he just always wanted to stay there he's like I'm fine I'm staying here like just pay me which a lot of guys if you're fine with where you're living you're probably at that point in your career like yeah just give me my second contract we'll figure it all out down the road and um, I've just always been fascinated by him because I, I really do think like he's got some talent and I've always wondered, is it, is it the product of not having the supporting cast? Like is, is Darren Fox way better on another team? But I don't know because we're going to find out this year. Cause they're getting some, some really nice pieces on that roster.
0: Yeah. And a couple other guys who went to situations that, panned out really nicely for them where they did have other pieces to complement them. Um, and guys who, you know, looking back uh, seem really vastly underdrafted and will probably go much earlier. Uh, in our redraft are Donovan Mitchell, Bam Adebayo and OG and Um, I was huge on Donovan Mitchell coming into the draft. I had him like six or seven. Um, I was begging for the Pistons to take him, um, instead of Luke Kennard. Unfortunately, that's not ideal. Um, But where were you at with Donovan Mitchell?
1: I loved him. I absolutely loved him. Um, That was one of those guys I'm not trying to be like, oh, look at me. But I watched him in college, and I was like, what am I missing here? Yes. Like, he just looks way different, way more explosive than everybody else. I was just like, guys with that much bounce, the ability to hit really tough shots from outside, and that wiggle, and that just – nastiness to get to the basket. I was just like, I love this guy. What 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 am I missing, you know? It's I don't know. It it was also one of those like that's where you start getting like, okay, intel is important part of this process and you start educating yourself and I was like, okay, is the intel bad here because I was like, why is this guy not a top 10 pick for sure? Like what's what's going on because he just had some drives and some takes that were so damn explosive when it was just like finishing above the hoop. Um, and I've said this to you before on previous no ceilings podcast. And I've talked about this with a lot of people um, when evaluating prospects, I always go through a lot of these prospects and I need to see you pop first. Yep. Like I need you to jump off the tape. Those are going to be the guys. Like when I start the 2023 process, I'm going to have this list, just this huge very long nightmarish list and i'm gonna run through it and i'm gonna move the guys that pop right away up just because i'm gonna be like those are the guys that stood out to me first look they just really impressed me and then you start nitpicking throughout the entire year but that was what happened with mitchell i watched and i was like this dude what's going on this dude's a freak like this is awesome to watch and um ends up being a a Outstanding pick, um, you know, Knicks fans are probably really excited to be watching Donovan Mitchell YouTube highlights. So we'll see if that happens. But um, yeah, what did you like about him that
0: just I, I anyone who's followed me these last however many years uh, kind of knows that I fall in love with these athletic dynamic scoring combo guards. I I'm just a sucker for him. And it was like, God, this guy's pulling up from three. He's confident in the mid range. He's getting to the rim. He's doing all this different stuff. And it's like, he's just fun. He's a good athlete. He's a confident scorer. The offense, I think it is even elevated to a level that I didn't necessarily expect. Um, and I thought the defense would be better than it has been. Um, I don't love how that's kind of taken a turn for the worse, but, it was the the athletic tools, the, the wingspan, the scoring versatility, the confidence, all of it is like this is this is a guy, this is a dude who's going to be one of the, an NBA team's better scorers. and I just didn't get why so many people had him in the like middle of the first round. It just no, none of it made sense to me. Um, I don't, you know, I th- this was still in the age where combo guards were viewed questionably, and it yes. was oh well he doesn't have a position he's too small for too small for a shooting guard but he's not a point guard it's like who cares the guy can shoot he can score he can create who cares and it was the start of us finally getting to the point of being like positions don't fucking matter can you play yeah and donovan mitchell could play then he can play now and it's like him falling to 13 is going to be one of the biggest like what the fuck were you people doing
1: Preach Metcalf. I was literally just about to go on this rant and you stole it from me and I'm so proud for you. This was, I think this was the thing of why he fell is because everyone, I get weaknesses and criticism and like hesitations about prospects. But when you find something that I'm like, you're really pulling something out of a hat right there. Like you're really trying to own in on this can a guy fucking play? That's what I get to Like, is he going to be a guy that potentially is going to be a starter at the NBA level? Let's figure that out first. Because I feel like when you get to someone like him in that draft class, people were like, he's too small for a shooting guard, but he plays like a shooting guard. And I don't know if he's going to be a point guard. And I'm like, is he going to be on the court in crunch time? Is he potentially going to be a machine? And can he hoop, That's what I always joke about. I get to a point like, is this guy a Hooper? Is this guy going to be a bucket machine? Is he going to play for a, a long time in the league? And when I watched Mitchell, I was like, just throw the damn measurements or all that thinking out of the table. This is the best guy on the court in pretty much every game I've watched of him. And it was just fascinating to me to see him fall down to there. And he was just so much fun at Louisville and, and, I'm glad that you thought the same way. You know that's why I love doing these podcasts with you.
0: Yeah, and ju- just to kind of you know further prove that for anyone who's skeptical about that being an evaluation, you know, I just pulled up the Ringers 2017 draft guide. And th- th- this isn't meant to take a shot at yeah, any geez, of those guys Nick, or anything. It's so- just the- violent, huh? <laughs> no, it's just the most easily available. And you know, they had him at 12. They have far more pluses than minuses, but the opening you know, sentence is supreme athlete with NBA strength who is still developing his point guard skills and the minuses doesn't have a true position. So, you know, if I'm sure if Donovan Mitchell is coming out right now, their view on that would be vastly different because the entire view of how players were evaluated and, um, you know, thought of how to fit on the floor, it's completely changed in the last, you know, five, six years. You know, it's pretty funny.
1: Our boy Johnny Davis uh, averaged what seven points a game as a freshman.
0: Oh, are you gonna do the statistical comparison with him? Because, yeah, that I, I did yeah. that when when I wrote about him earlier this year with him, Donovan Mitchell, and Brandon Roy. And it's weird, hmm. it's weird. I just mean, saying, not saying, but just saying.
1: Wizards fans, I need you guys to calm down. I've been, oh I've been worried about you. But uh, oh we'll we'll save that for another day. But <laughs> Johnny Davis, seven points a game in his freshman year at college. Donovan Mitchell, 7.4 points a game at Louisville as a freshman. Jumped up to 15.6 as a sophomore. So let's be patient, folks. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it's it's just always fun to look back and see that – the numbers the guys put up in college, what their tape was like, what they've developed into, and Mitchell's become just an absolute machine. Especially when he had that run in the playoffs, where he was all of a sudden becoming the the superstar, like taking his his game to an a completely different level. It was just like, my goodness, this is a animal. So, um, yeah, there was another guy I was high on. Who else have you
0: got, Metcalf?
1: Who else are we thinking?
0: Um, I know. OG fell because of the injury thing. Yeah. Um, and then the big questions around his shot uh, from his freshman year to sophomore year, the three point percentage fell by 13%. And he only shot 56% from the line and 48% um, as a freshman. So like the indicators weren't good, but there was some excitement. I still think if he wouldn't have gotten injured as a sophomore, he probably goes lottery still. Uh, the the big surprise though, is Bam Bio, Yeah. Um, and it's just another case of Kentucky guys having so much more to their, their game than they were ever allowed to show. Um, you know, again, not to take a shot at the ringer, but he was ranked uh, 36 on their draft guide. And a lot of people, um, myself included, just kind of viewed him as this athletic, energy, rim-running big man. And I didn't think he was as skilled. He, you know, he frequently got paired um, or aligned with UCLA Center at the time, Ike and. A, Adding Bogu, um, they're proud careers, of that
1: pronunciation. Good job, Mike. <laughs> the, for that,
0: their careers have turned out very differently, um, and it was just wild how much more skill and you know substance there was to Bam's game than he was allowed to show. Because you know, as we're running through the clips here, there's a nice kickout pass there, but that was kind of the extent to his passing ability or what he was allowed to do. But it, he was just a freak rim runner, great athlete. And, you know, that was kind of it. It's funny because
1: I, uh, I went down a rabbit hole this morning and I found one of my old write-ups on bam, um, getting ready for this draft. And I, at the end, like I always try to do a summary at the end after breaking down their game. And I even wrote like late first rounder, really intriguing. I could see going earlier, but it's like, I even thought he was a late first rounder and, um, you know, he averaged 13 points a game eight rebounds, 0.8 assists at Kentucky in 30 minutes. So it's just like what Metcalf's talking about. Like he didn't get a lot of chance to just showcase the versatility he had, but there was some special tools. There was some athleticism. Like we said before, these guys are not finished products by all means. So, I mean, that's exactly what, you know, you, you trust your scouting department for you trust the evaluation and, and, Teams are trying to find those guys later on that they're like they are not finished products. We are going to unleash their game and um, don't get obsessed with one year in college because you you know people are already joking like Chet Holmgren didn't get show that set offensively at Gonzaga and it's like yeah they're playing inside a system the coaches have specific plans for them like you you never really know and, and that's where. NBA teams will get their hands on him and look at him and say like okay there's there's an untapped potential here you know we can unlock Pandora's box and Bam's become a, a machine a, a versatile asset who can bring the ball up when he needs to make plays off the dribble great vision and, and now becomes one of the better defensive big men's in the league but just really fascinating to look back and be like, whoa, a lot of people were lower on him, and he really shocks people. And that's what, Metcalf, you were talking about before we even started this, was this draft class had value all over the place.
0: Yeah, so I know we're, we're already an hour in, and we haven't even gotten to the redraft. So just real rapid fire. Um, I just want to touch, just mention some guys who you know, unfortunately didn't live up to where they're drafted or kind of the expectations for them. Um, you know, Dennis Smith jr. Is one of those guys, Josh Jackson, no. we talked about earlier, uh, Harry Giles, just injuries suck. Um, and Justin Patton, and, were, were there any for you that kind um, of stood out?
1: I mean, the Dennis Smith one really, it hurt had, yeah, that one really hurt me. Um, I weirdly was drinking some Justin Patton Kool-Aid late, but, but I don't know if I was like that in love with it. I love, I actually really liked Harry Giles a
0: lot. Injuries do suck. Um, I'm trying to think of any other ones. Zach Collins, you know, just another injury. I really liked him and Zaga. I thought he was fun.
1: Yeah, I can't go down that one. <laughs>
0: that, that, I, I right. was a
1: little, uh, I was not a Zach Collins believer, but he did get injured a bunch. I thought he would have been a lot better player. Um, Jordan Bell, I thought was going to have way longer of a career. I I don't know why. I just thought he was, um, I feel like I have one more.
0: Yeah. uh, uh, Just a, a couple guys later who, um, you know, really exceeded expectations. Just to quickly mention, I think, are Kyle Kuzma, Derek White, and Josh Hart. um, You know, those are three guys who went 27, um, 29, and 30, respectively. And it's just kind of a, just another good test case of using those late first round picks to take experienced and, you know, older players and how well that can turn out. You can find value everywhere, folks. That's one of my
1: favorite. Whenever I'm looking at the draft history, I always get to those three, and I'm like, that's great value. That's really good value. That's getting not chasing the swing of upside. You're chasing just the guy that could play in the league for a long time. I will mention this as a little funny side note. Shimmy um, Ojale, go watch his SMU tape. <laughs> it is it was the most confusing thing I've ever watched because you watch yep. him in the pros and watch him at SMU, SMU. He jumped out of the damn building and yeah. just murdered the rim on every alley open in the world. And I, you never really saw that when he was with the Celtics, it was always like, I was like, did he like get his knees replaced with like the Terminator, like metal? Like it was fascinating. Like if anyone's ever go watch it. Cause I watched him at SMU. He, he had transferred, I think initially from Duke.
0: Yep. Yeah, he was a, he was a big recruit coming out of high school and, yeah. and, and him and Sterling Brown were a lot of fun at SMU that year.
1: And Shimmy would go up for some tip dunks and stuff. And I was like, Holy crap. <laughs> like this guy is a ball of muscle and he can jump like that. And, um, but it was just funny watching him throughout his Celtics career. I was like, "Where did the athleticism go? What happened, my man. But, um, he also, I don't want to ever say that to his face cause he'd probably rip me in half, but
0: yeah, I don't think that'd go well for you. No. Um, but then just a loop the last two names of, or three names of guys who went in the kind of mid to late second who have vastly out or er, exceeded their um, draft spot uh, Thomas Bryant, who went 42nd, yep. Isaiah Hartenstein, who went 43rd, and love Dylan Isaiah. Brooks, who went 45th. You know, I, I'm not the biggest Dylan Brooks fan. I don't love how he plays, but he is way better than the 45th best prospect in this draft. So just a, an, another test case of you can find value everywhere. And just because a guy falls to the 40th pick doesn't mean that he's going to suck or that he, you know, isn't good. It's really fascinating where value always, you know, seems to, or talent always seems to find its level. Wait, you don't like Dylan Brooks since when
1: I'm kidding. The whole town knows Frank. Um, all right, let's do this Metcalf. Let's do this redraft because I feel like I'm going to piss you off and we're an hour in, but I also feel like this could get
0: a little ugly. So let's talk. Okay. Um, well, I'm fascinated to see who you go with with the Celtics at three. So I'm going to give you the first pick with the 76ers. I'm assuming it's Tatum. I took Tatum. Okay. Easy enough. All right. Um, for the Lakers, taking Donovan Mitchell. Um, I, had, I had Donovan too. Okay. I, all right. I, and I, I think that's a really, really fun young Lakers team. Um, all right. Celtics three. Who you got? I took Bam.
1: Yep, same. All, right. <laughs> okay. we're all I feel like when we get to 5, this is going to get ugly. So, I feel like we're going to start yelling at each other and oh. probably have a you know. So, I um, week.
0: I might So, just real oh, quick gosh. on those Stop. Are you going to do it those... at 4? Just real quick on those top 3. Okay. Is there are any of those surprises or is there an a big argument for anyone else to kind of break into that? <sighs> Um, no, I agree. I, I think it's a pretty big drop off after that. Um, and for the Suns, I'm going to go with OGN and OB.
1: Oh, here we go. Wow. Okay. Wow. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Well, Kings fans now, now we're really <laughs> pissed off. <laughs> um, so, so who would well, you have gone have, with okay. that? I I put De'Aaron there. Okay. Okay. Now I gotta. Well, screw this. Okay. So I'm fifth with the Kings. Yeah. I screw it. I'm taking De'Aaron there. We're not. Yeah. We're not. We're not. We're not fucking leaving.
0: <laughs> okay. It, so. it, it was fate, Kings fans. It De'Aaron was obviously always going to end up there. Um, All right.
1: Okay. Wow. Interesting. I kind of I understand that. I OG's nice. OG's really really nice. I just. See, this is why I think the slander with Darren Fox is unwanted, but it's
0: okay. <laughs> I understand it. I get it. Um, hey, if anything, I'm doing Fox a favor and not putting him in that Phoenix situation. So you're welcome. Yeah. Darren. good point. Um,
1: okay, <laughs> okay. So uh, you're on the clock with Orlando at six. They originally took Jonathan Isaac. Where are you going?
0: Uh, I'm going to go Lonzo.
1: Interesting. Okay. I actually like that pick. Um, I thought some might have. I had him a little later, but I also was like, when I put him there, I was like, why couldn't he have gone earlier than this? Um, Yeah, and
0: and just for clarification, when I'm running through these, I'm not factoring in team fit or anything a whole lot. I'm just focusing more on uh, how how they've turned out as players and how I view view them value wise. Uh, I
1: understand. I understand.
0: So with with the seventh pick, uh, this was Laurie Markkinen, who went to the Chicago Bulls uh, in the Jimmy Butler trade. Um, which just turned out perfectly for everyone. Um, so for for the Bulls, who are you going with? Oh,
1: so, okay. I was going with this as the Timberwolves, but screw it. I'm well, and gonna... it's the
0: Timberwolves pick who immediately got traded to Chicago. So I went with John Collins. Oh, interesting. But l- let's talk about Collins for
1: a second. Because... Yeah, let's talk about John. How do you feel about <laughs> him going into the draft?
0: I really liked him. I liked him um,
1: too, and I wasn't. I, I not confident enough to. Yeah,
0: same. Yeah, because um, his like statistical rankings and efficiency was like historically good, um, and I just didn't understand why more people were skeptical and like that. I, the public's hesitancy, this was before I was getting, like, really confident in my evals and being like, nah, fuck you. Like, I, I look like what I like and I see what I see. Um, So I kind of just let outside influences drop him a little for me. Uh, but I, I still think I had him, like, right around, like, late teens.
1: My goodness, you weren't kidding. He, uh, His sophomore year at Wake Forest averaged 19.2 points, 9.8 rebounds, 1.6 yeah, blocks. 62% from the field. His PER, I think it was like one of if, the best ever. Yeah, I don't care if people don't like PER. I still like it. Um, 35.9. Yeah, big number when you get above 30. <laughs> so a really big number. Um,
0: My goodness.
1: Yeah, so I, I, he was one of those that I was just like, it, it was the same thing as you. I, I really, really liked him, but it was my first year of like, legitimately being all in on evaluating. And I was just like, All right, let me see if I learned my lesson. I still might have had him in the lottery. I don't really remember off the top of my head, but I just wasn't confident enough to be like, I love him as the 12th guy, you know, or something like that. But okay,
0: all right. Well, I'm proud of my pick, so screw you. (laughs) No, I I, I just got done saying how much I love John Collins. Um, Has he turned into the player that you were expecting or hoping or exceeded expectations? I, I'm one, I'm on the side of the fence where
1: I still think he's a lot better than people realize. Like, yeah. Everyone's been just like, Oh, the Hawks are going to trade him. And I'm like, why isn't everyone trying to trade for him? Now I understand like finances and right. You know, takes two to tango, but I just really, really think he's a heck of a good player. Um, I think he's turned out. Oh, I'm not gonna, he turned out better than I thought. I still think he's a very, very. Good player that doesn't probably deserve and get enough respect, get enough attention. Like I, I think he's a very unique asset for a team. I, I love the way he plays. What about you?
0: Yeah, I'm, I I think this has kind of been one of the better outcomes that his career could have taken. Um, and I I do think that the hesitancy in trading for him is either the price tag the Hawks are setting for him, or you know just how much he costs and. It's kind of tough because I, I love that play style. I love what he brings to a team. I think he's a really good player. It's just tough to, do you want a guy who plays that role? Do you want to pay? Is that how you want to allocate that much money? So not faulting him for taking that contract. Cause if someone offers you the money, you take the money. He's a hell of a player. He earned his money. So not trying to get into any of that, but talent wise, you know he's been he's slightly exceeded my expectations because I think the outside shot has been a little better than I anticipated coming out of college.
1: Definitely, hundred percent agree.
0: All right, with the eighth pick, the New York Knicks who originally took Frank Milikina. Um The franchise. I'm not, I'm not, not going to go that way. I'm going to go with Jared Allen who went 22nd to Brooklyn.
1: Good pick. I had him on my list to take him soon. Okay. Dang. Hey Metcalf. No, I like that. I I love Jared Allen, yep. Um as a prospect. I love that no offense Nets fans, I love that he got out of Brooklyn. Um but he he
0: would have been the perfect center for Katie Knicks. and Kyrie to play with. Oh, yeah. Which But why, why are you bringing in the uh, Conversation for another day that's been already hashed out in numerous places. So
1: That was my literal <sighs> least favorite move probably of the decade when they it signed made no Andre
0: Jordan. I was like, what are we doing?
1: We have him. <laughs> we are, you already have him. Yeah. Um, okay, okay, so I'm at nine with Dallas.
0: Correct, who was originally Dennis Smith Jr.
1: Oh, gosh. I just still hate that. I'm going to take Lori. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, a little... Oh,
0: little, uh, not worried about the, uh, obvious stir comparisons. No,
1: he would have been what Porzingis wasn't. He would have just shot the ball. I mean, we're also talking about 2017. They didn't even have, um, the European animal Luca. Um, no, I don't know. I just, I'm looking at the rest of the board. See, this is where we were going to get, what, what would you have done there?
0: I would have gone Kuzma.
1: See, I'm probably cooler on
0: Kuzma.
1: Yeah, I guess I get it. Ugh.
0: I just don't love the board. I don't love it. I'm staying I, with it. I'll take I've, the fire. I have like six guys ahead of in, um, nope. personally. But at 10, the Portland Trailblazers, who acquired Zach Portland? Collins. Yep, is uh, originally the Kings who they got um, from New Orleans and then okay. traded it to the trailblazers. Okay. Yeah. The, the NBA really needs to fix how they record all this. Yes. Shit. Um, but Portland originally took Zach Collins. I'm going with Kyle Kuzma. Well, takes a guy off my board. I didn't want, um,
1: and I'm not slandering Kuzma. I, I just, just a little bit. No, I mean, I had him a couple picks later, but, um, Okay, I'm 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 11 with Charlotte.
0: I who who was it. Malik Monk? Who I was really high on.
1: Um, I just I'm gonna piss you off. I'm gonna take Dylan Brooks.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Have, have him. He 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 was 13 on my rankings. So okay, he he so wouldn't so have made it out of the lottery. He wouldn't okay. have made it out of this redrafts. Redraft. me. who'd you take at 10? Kuzma. Yeah. And then I took... All right, so... And I'd mark it in at 14.
1: I don't need you to keep bringing that up. Um, well, you I, you made a bad pick, so it's fine. No, I mean, hey, they all can't be winners, but... He'd be fine there. He would have been fine. He'd be <laughs> fine. He's from Finland. Dallas loves drafting the
0: international guys. God, do you, just imagine how obscene or obnoxious those... Oh, he's the next jerk. have been. They were oh, already yeah. bad when he went to uh, Chicago, but... Okay. Uh, at number 12, Detroit Pistons, who originally took Luke Kennard and broke my heart when they didn't take Donovan Mitchell. Um, Kennard just turned into a nice player, but I'm going to go with Jonathan Isaac. Amazing. I had
1: Isaac too at 12 to Detroit. I, as a prospect, I was drooling over yeah. Jonathan Isaac. He was one, I think I might have even had him in my top five or six. I loved
0: him. Yeah, he was, he was for team. sure in my top 10
1: and everyone that thinks I'm crazy, like go watch him. Uh, when was he, he was, it was at the bubble. He was just going berserk. And we were like, Oh my gosh, Jonathan Isaac next year is going to be a machine or
0: something. I, I, when, I mean, when he's been healthy, he's been awesome. And awesome. Like, a, like this guy's a defensive player of the year and he just hasn't been able to stay healthy. Hopefully he can, if he can, with this young magic team, that's gonna be really fun. Yeah. I, I, as a prospect,
1: I still absolutely love them. I thought watching his film at, uh, Florida State, I was just like, whoo wee. Yeah. This dude clicks. Like, I'm I'm all in on this one. So yeah, at twelve, I'd still take him. I hope he's healthy because I loved watching him play as a basketball player and as a prospect. Um oh no, now I'm at thirteen with Denver. Uh Utah. They Utah. Treat, they <laughs> what website did I use that didn't update any of this? Uh Utah I'm gonna take. Uh, I'm gonna take Derek White.
0: That that's who would have been on my list as well.
1: I'm gonna take Derek White. I really like that fit. I also love the guy I had next, and I wanted to move him
0: up a lot earlier. But I'll be interested to see if you have the same opinion. Um, yeah. So at number fourteen, the Miami Heat, who obviously took Bam Adebayo, um, I'm gonna go with Josh Hart. All right, I had Josh Hart too,
1: so love we weren't it. too far off. I just took Laurie at at Laurie at nine, and um, I like your Jared and Arnold I, I had Laurie
0: here. I had Laurie at fourteen. Yeah, so I like my my top fourteen all went. So like, there that that's interesting that there wasn't any major kind of disagreements.
1: Do you want to keep bringing up that you had Laurie at fourteen? Or yeah, no, on. I
0: I I love pointing out your mistakes, so. Hey, not
1: not every lottery has a you know I still can't believe he took OG at four. Wow.
0: That that's because he's really good.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess <laughs> the the Suns would just double down on the mistake of not
0: taking a point guard and take another wing, even though I I love OG. Um, um yeah, so some some guys that we didn't mention, obviously Malik Monk, uh Luke Kennard, Semi Ojale, Thomas Bryant, Isaiah Hardenstein, uh Monte Morris. Zach Collins, Frank Nelkina, um, obviously some flawed players in there who didn't necessarily live up to where they were drafted. But I, I still think there are some of these guys who have been able to stick around um, and play you know, some, some solid roles for teams. So was there anyone that you felt could have easily broken into this list or you feel bad leaving out? Um, no
1: not really. I'm looking at the names around. I loved Justin Jackson going into the draft. I thought he was going to be a guy that just played for 11 years. I just thought he was going to be that eighth guy off the bench that helped you in a playoff series and then fair. Luke Kennard still the most frustrating ever because I get I like his game, but he's the biggest like hotter cold player I've ever seen. I feel like when he's hot, it's like, "Oh gosh, Luke Kennard game." But um no i feel like that was that was a fun one Metcalf. i mean we did a lengthy one but i feel like it's always cool to kind of go back and look at um the history of the draft and i feel like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm gonna be excited to keep doing some of these too. i feel like we're going in a damn time machine going far back it's gonna get crazy when we bring up some specific draft cycles it's gonna be crazy
0: yeah yeah th- this was fun looking forward to doing more of these um rucker thank you for the time Please plug away, tell the people where they can find yeah. you. Um, I'm
1: at Tyler underscore Rucker on Twitter. I'm at noceilingsnba.com. I've got some pieces on the way, some that I'm putting a lot of time into. That's probably going to be some some crazy reads, but I have a feeling a lot of people are going to like them. And then um, I'm going to be getting the, the content for YouTube rolling. Talk about some summer league reactions. And uh, Metcalf. Glad to glad to be back doing this this week with you. Um I'm already looking forward to the next episode. Thank
0: you as always, sir. Absolutely. Once again, I'm Tyler Metcalf. You can follow me on Twitter at One 11 You can find our merchandise at NoCeilingsNBA.bigcartel.com, And you can find all of our written work, including uh, the pieces, the lengthy, in-depth, fascinating pieces that Rucker just teased at NoCeilingsNBA.com. It's all free. Just hit that subscribe button while you're there to ensure that you never miss anything that we publish. You can follow us on Twitter at NBA. And you can watch this podcast and... A lot more that we have coming up on YouTube at No Ceilings TV. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating. Until next time, see ya.